Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to discuss Buffalo. It's a Buffalo Bulls, the last non-conference preseason game before we get back into the meat of the Big Ten schedule with 18 to go. And so uh, this last game of the year as well. And, you know, I, the the way we looked at the season before it started, our expectations that Michigan State would have a couple losses with that huge stretch of tough games. And, you know, I think they, in some ways, were better than we expected. Obviously, we didn't expect the injuries to Jay Nakins before the season began and sort of he's been kind of running on a bum tire until the last game or so. And then Malik Hall, of course, has been out for four or five games now. And so I still like how we look full strength. And I, I think, you know, overall looking at where we are going to this Buffalo game before the Big Ten games, I think we have to be pretty satisfied with where the team is by record-wise. And it's not like Ken Palm top 20, but, you know, it's surviving and actually doing okay. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And though you haven't seen anybody absolutely step up as a breakout player, maybe the way you would like, like a Jackson Kohler or Trey Holloman where they've like had huge games. I still think the minutes that those guys have been able to play and Pierre Brooks too, um, I think are going to pay dividends at some point this season there. I, I think it was, I think it was coach Kelly that was talking about, investment right and and i think that's what you hope for and and boy you know when you looked at the schedule this season you know in october it didn't look like there were likely to be many opportunities to get investment minutes in some (laughs) of those guys because every game looked incredibly competitive And the one thing that the injury difficulty has done, and you don't want to have this happen, but if you're looking for a silver lining, I've got one for you. It's that it created out of necessity an opportunity for those guys to play serious minutes and to it, if nothing else, to at least get an idea of what's going to be required of them, the speed the game is played at, the strength, the skill level of the guys they're playing against now. It's it's a different deal. And you would hope that by the time, say, February rolls around, you will see those guys be capable of, of doing some things that maybe they haven't been at, capable of as of yet simply because they got the opportunity and we've seen this all the time at Michigan State, many, many occasions. Um, and, you know, the obvious ones are guys like Draymond Green and Xavier Tillman. But there are ones that might skew a little bit closer to what we have this year. I go back and think about somebody like Gabe Brown, who played very sparingly for most of his freshman year and then popped off a 16-point game against LSU in the Sweet 16. You know, you have to have your young players be capable and ready when the moment comes and you never know when that moment is going to hit. And I think that the odds of a Trey Holloman or a Jackson Kohler being capable and ready to deliver a big performance when it's needed have been improved by the fact that they've had to play the minutes they've played to date this season. Um, You know, hopefully and we haven't heard anything to the contrary. We assume that things are getting back on track 
and Malik Call is expected to play in this game. We don't know how much. I would expect he won't start, uh, and probably his limits, his minutes will be somewhat limited. But as the team gets back to full strength, uh, you know their their roles are going to change a little bit um, going forward. But that doesn't mean they're not going to be called upon. And so again, if you're looking for silver linings, that's one. The second one is that they kept their heads above water. You know, they're eight right. and four yep. with a chance to be nine and four. Uh, if they win this game against Buffalo heading back into big 10 play, I think most people looking at their schedule would have said that's an acceptable record given the schedule that they were going to face a very acceptable record. You know, the, the thing is you just never know what, not only what your team is going to be, but what the opposition is going to look like. So if you look back at some of those teams they've played, you know, Gonzaga and Kentucky games two and three look like a nightmare. And Michigan State had a very competitive loss and then a very big win in those two games. You look back at it, Gonzaga has kind of righted the ship a little bit. Kentucky maybe less so. Um but then you, you had a game against Alabama in the first, the first round of the, the PK 85, which in the preseason looked like a tough game, but maybe not, you know, an extremely tough one. And you, know, you look up and Alabama seems to be a top 10 quality team at the moment. So you just never know how it's going to shake out. But I think how it looked in the preseason, how it looks now to me, and, and then factoring in the injuries, to me, it's hard to spin what MSU has done thus far as anything but, at the very least, acceptable in terms of the performance. Yep, I totally agree. And I think, you know, the other thing, too, on top of that is with those players getting those minutes, they're also getting those minutes during consequential games in the Big Ten even. And so I think that will be helpful to them in to at least know what to expect going into the next uh, 18, 19 games here. Well, let's talk about the Buffalo Bulls. They're a MAC team. They're six and six for the year. A couple of those wins came over non-division one opponents. However, they've lost by twenty to UConn, which pretty good. Uh, they lost by eighteen to West Virginia, and their best win is over George Mason. They're ranked one hundred ninetieth overall in Ken Palm. Offensively, they're number one eighty one, and defensively two hundred nine. So they're balanced on offense. They're only strength really is getting to the free throw line, which they don't do very well, unfortunately. <laughs> They're number 63 and actually in makes. Um, uh, I'm sorry, 174. They're shooting 71%. Um, they're not very good from three. They're shooting under 30% from threes. They're number 207 in offensive rebound percentage and 266 in turnover percentage. But they do play fast, which is um, they're make, their speed is extremely fast. I think they're what top 20 in speed uh, call, right? tempo. They're 12th overall. And I think right. they're 23rd in offensive tempo, meaning their possessions are the 23rd shortest on offense in the country. So yeah, they play very fast, but they turn the ball over a lot. They're 120 in turnover percentage against, and their defensive rebounding is horrendous. They're two set number 275. And they foul a lot, so they're number three forty-one in in fouling. So they have some problems. You know, this is a team coached by Jim Whitesell, who took over from, as people may recall, Bobby Hurley was the co head coach. The Nate Oates took over. Both of those coaches departed, and so Buffalo had a couple really good good runs there in the NCAA tournament and in the MAC. Uh, Whitesell has uh, had a good postseason experiences. He's twenty twelve, sixteen and nine, and nineteen and eleven records in the last in his first three seasons. So pretty good. It's not a, this is not a terrible team. It's not a fantastic team, but it's a solid team in the Mac, at least the last few years. Yeah. It's, it's a, this is a rebuilding year and it's, it's not a shocker. They were, I believe they were picked fifth in their division in the Mac in the preseason, if I remember correctly. Um, so it, it's not a surprise that their record is what it is. You know, they've, they've only played a couple of high major teams. They played UConn and lost by 20. They played West Virginia and lost by 18. Uh, so they're not quite at that level. People think about this program, you know, Bobby Hurley really built it out of nothing. I mean, Buffalo had 
really no tradition to speak of in basketball. And he turned it around and then got the job at Arizona state, handed the baton to Nate Oates. And Nate Oates was the guy who really took, I can't remember. They got to a sweet 16. I think they did. I think you're Um, right. I think so. And he had a couple of Michigan kids who were um, uh, from Milan who were very important players. Uh, Nate, uh, God, big kid. Perkins maybe was his name. But anyway, um, Nate Oates was the guy who really followed through on that, uh, on what Hurley had built, and, and ended up parlaying that into the Alabama job. So... Buffalo had had really established a new level of performance. And over the last three years, you, you can't say they've quite sustained it because they haven't been back to the NCAA tournament. But that's also a very, very, very difficult thing to do as a Mac school. You basically got to win the Mac tournament because the Mac's not a multi-bid league. <laughs> right, so yeah. it's tough. Actually, during the COVID year, uh, so that was two years ago, they ended up going to the NIT, but they got to the MAC tournament final before losing. So they were very close to going back. But I think, again, this year, more of a rebuilding season. So you have to reset expectations a little bit that um, from where they've been. This is not the Buffalo four or five years ago. Um, and they've struggled. And frankly, this is a team that you look at it on the merits and you ran through all the numbers. They're not good on yeah. either end. You know, the one thing they do well is they draw fouls on offense, but they're also only okay in terms of converting the chances they get there. If they were a 78 or 79% shooting team, okay, you might have something, but they haven't been. So this is a team that, you know, if you're Michigan State, you feel like you should be able to handle uh, of course, the difficulty facing MSU is they're once again coming off a lengthy layoff. I think this one will end up being nine days. Uh, yep. and, and coming over the holiday, you figure they also missed a couple of days of practice in there. Um, but the nice thing here is Buffalo is looking at the same thing. They also played on the tw- their last game on the 21st uh, and won't have played before then. So they're also coming off a substantial layoff. So you would hope that would kind of even things out in terms of sharpness. But I think this is clearly a game for MSU. You expect to win and you want to get some work done preparing to get back into the Big Ten fray. And, you know, one of the most important elements in that is being able to start the process of reintegrating Malik Hall. Right. And I think it's it's easy to forget that when your players come back from injury, you you expect them to kind of be right where they were when they, when they left. And it just takes a while from a conditioning yeah. standpoint. And it is interesting because you think, Oh, well you can get on a bike. You can do all these sorts of things. It just doesn't, it, it's just not the same, right? It's running uh, it's with gameplay and, and actually being in, sh- in conditioned, you know, in my opinion, the four games that Malik Hall played uh, before he got hurt, he was playing the best basketball of his career. Yes. I mean, I I thought, you know, everybody's going to go back to those big plays he made at the end of regulation at the end of the first overtime in the Kentucky win, but he was consistently doing things that a lot of people doubted in the preseason when there was this talk about, oh, we're going to, we're going to start Malik at the three. He's going to be on the wing a lot. And there were a lot of doubters, people who know the game a lot of doubters as to whether he was physically up to that task. And, and honestly, I thought he passed with flying colors. And I think offensively, he was playing very patient, very smart basketball. Just in short, he was giving you the kind of performance that you expect from a veteran. You know, he's a senior. He's in his fourth year in the program. You want to be able to lean on guys like that. And he was delivering. Now you've had him sit out basically what we're talking about more than a month by the time we get to this game, uh, since the last time he played maybe more like five weeks. Um, you don't expect it to come back in one fell swoop. It's going to be a process just to get his timing back. You know, we, and we saw this with Jade Nakins who also had a foot injury, a big part of it. 
is just regaining that trust in your own body. Sure. You know, and we don't know where Malik's going to be on that front till we actually see it. But th- there's, <laughs> there's no, uh, it's a very obvious thing to say that Michigan state is better with whatever Malik call they can get than without him. So we'll just hope that the process of getting back to that level he was at at the start of the season is a quick one. Yeah. And no question. It was defensively. He, he made a bigger difference than probably we recognized at the time, especially seeing the interior def- defense, not struggling, but d- definitely more challenging for, for players who knew players like Kohler, Sissoko, um, not having Malik Hall out there kind of barking and helping direct traffic a little bit. So yeah, it'll be it'll be nice having him back. And I would say, in many ways, Malik kind of reminded me of Joey Hauser this year. You know, Joey, there were times when he would sort of disappear in games. I just don't feel like I've seen that really hardly at all this this year. He's been a steady, constant player. And I think the same thing with Malik. Last year, he would sort of disappear for long stretch of the game. Yep. And he'd come out and just dominate for a little bit. He was definitely more consistent and you know more even, I guess. We, we only we only got four games, so yeah, it's right. not yeah. it's not a sufficient test, but. He was four for four in my book (laughs) in terms of stepping up and being a key part of what MSU was doing. The the biggest thing to me was defense because that, that to me is what slipped most notably when he went out of the lineup. I thought Michigan state in those four games he played in looked to be very, very good defensively looked to be much improved. They haven't been horrible since then but they haven't been as good. They're missing, they're missing a piece and it's fairly obvious what it is. Um, when you have Malik Hall, you have a guy who is capable physically of handling bigger wings because he's six, eight, you know? So mm-hmm. you saw it, you know, Kentucky Gonzaga could roll even Villanova to some extent could roll out lineups where they would have a six, 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 seven, six, eight guy on the wing you saw what the absence of having that kind of player could mean when MSU faced Alabama, because they did not have a counter to their great freshman Miller. And he just killed MSU in that game. You know, Pierre Brooks physically has the size for that, but we all know defense is a work in progress there. You, what you really want is you want a guy that you can trust. And that's what Malik call has been. And, and so if he can at least get that back quickly, Michigan state will be, I think significantly better just based on that alone, regardless of what he gives them as an offensive player. Right. Well, let's talk about the starters at Buffalo. Uh, we'll start with Curtis Jones. He's a six, five sophomore from Minneapolis averaging a team high 14.8 points a game on 47, 36 and 76 shooting. And he also leads the team in assists with 32 and just 11 turnovers. And he also gets about five rebounds a game. Yeah, he's pretty clearly their best player. But this is what I mentioned about it being a, a bit of a rebuilding year for Buffalo that you know, typically when you see, not always, but usually in conferences like the MAC, you know, mid-major conferences, your better teams tend to be um, – veteran dominated and so if your best player is a sophomore it's not always the case but often that means you're probably in the building process as opposed to the we've arrived part of the schedule (laughs) you know the destination Um, but he's clearly their best player now you know totally as an aside uh, if you're buffalo what's the biggest concern now when a guy like Curtis Jones is having a lot of success as a sophomore, it's not what it used to be right now. It's God, can we hold on to him till he's a senior? Exactly. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see on that front, but for now he's, he's the guy that's really getting it done. I mean, Buffalo doesn't have a true point guard, but he's the one guy who's done some playmaking, and is also avoiding mistakes because other than that, other than him, they're a heavy turnover team. So you add that to his scoring, the rebounding he's providing, a very important player. So next will be Armani Foster, 6'4", senior, 
averaging 8.8 points a game on 38, 36, and 72 shooting. Yeah, you know, a veteran, which, as I keep saying, this level of team you're going to lean on, and he's been decently productive for them. You know, the nice thing that Buffalo has that they can turn to is they've got some some decent size in their backcourt. This is not a team. Sometimes at this level you'll see, you know, multiple six one or under guards. They don't have that right. problem. So at least physically, they can match up with Michigan State from a size perspective, you know? Yeah, absolutely. From a size standpoint, they are not small. <clears throat> Next would be Isaiah Adams, a six six junior, averaging just barely under ten points a game on 41, 31, and 67 shooting and four and a half rebounds a game. Yeah. And, you know, again, uh decent size on the wing. Um, decent experience, uh, struggling a little bit with the three, which this team really does not shoot it well. Next would be Laquille Hardnett, 6'8", senior, averaging 8.4 points a game on 52, 32, and 63 shooting and uh, leads the team in rebounding with six a game. Yeah, and he's only recently uh, gotten back into the starting lineup, but he's uh, he's been playing a, a key role the entire season, as we say, Um you know, leading the team and rebounding and giving them at least some production offensively. But th- this is the thing they're They've got some decent size in the backcourt, their front court, but for one guy is a lot like this where, Oh, he's six, eight, but he's only 200 pounds, not a team that physically should be able to bang with a Michigan state. Right. And finally, a six, 11, 250 pound freshman, Isaac Jack from British Columbia, Canada, so he gives him some real size. He's averaging a little under six points a game on 77% from the floor and 71% from the line uh, with, you know, low volume. Yeah, but he's he started to play more. He was seven for nine from the floor in their last game. And the conclusion I would draw is when you're shooting 77% from the floor, you at least know what's a good shot. He hasn't taken any threes. So this is not a modern stretch three. Not none of that. He's and at 6'11, 250, he's actually got high major size, physical presence. Um, be interesting to see. He's only started, um, he's only began starting for them recently. So it'd be interesting to me to see what he's able to do against a legitimate high major opponent that at least physically can throw some guys out there that can match him. Um, but you know, man, for a freshman to be producing that way. That's an encouraging thing. Now you just got to hold on to them. I was going to say, yeah, that's got to be the thing that terrifies these coaches, especially when you have someone in a position like, you know, really good point guard or really big, good center. Those are hot commodities, right? I mean, everyone saw what Michigan state and a lot of teams were looking for this off season. You know, it's gotta be rough trying to hang on to these guys. You, You want to feature them, but not too much. You know, I don't know. I don't know what you can do anymore because it used to be, you know, for the last, say, decade after the grad transfer rule was uh, was put into place, that that made it uh, the case for mid-majors. Say, OK, we can't redshirt kids anymore because if you redshirt them, right, they do their four years, they graduate, then they go play their last year somewhere else, just at the stage that they're really, really ready to help you now. It's just open season. I don't know what, I don't think there is anything you can do. So it's, it's this constant recruiting. You got to recruit and re-recruit your own guys all the time and hope that you can hold on. Look, it's not always the case. I mean, um, there are kids who become great players at the mid-major level and opt to stay where they're at figuring that they're in a comfortable environment. They like the people they're around, you know, on and on and on. But you'd have to say on balance, that's going to be a decision that will be less common than the, oh, now I've got my chance to move up and play at the level I always wanted to. That's the more likely decision in most of these cases. But it it really, uh, as a basketball fan, and I mean, taking it even out of the MSU rubric and just generally someone who appreciates college basketball, what it's done is made it harder, not impossible because we only have to go back to last year's tournament and look at the ride that St. Peter's went on, 
but all the way to the elite eight. But um, in general, I think it has made the task of the mid-major coach much more difficult to build a team that is capable of shocking a high major and going on a run in March or pulling off a big upset in a tournament somewhere in November. It's just difficult to do, more difficult to do than it used to be because those types of teams, what used to be the equalizer was experience. If they, if you could roll out a good team of fourth and fifth year players, that gave you a real opportunity to match up with a younger group that had been good in say the big 12 or the big 10 or the pac 12, you know, it was an equalizer of sorts. You don't, it's very, very difficult to build that kind of team at, at the mid-major level right now. So you could make a pretty good case looking at this roster that the two most interesting guys are a sophomore guard and a freshman center are either one of them going to finish their careers at Buffalo. I don't know. What do you do if you're the Buffalo coaching staff? We've got snow. We got a lot of snow. We yeah. got snow cones. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's another thing too, is right. In this job in particular, you're selling playing in Buffalo, New York, which especially this winter, whew, unless I know unless you really like, you know, cross country skiing and <laughs> sledding. <laughs> All that there's, there's just not, it's been brutal. I have actually, my wife has a very close friend who teaches in Buffalo and, um, apparently the last few days have just been unbelievable. Um, I'm sure in, yeah. in terms of just not even being able, being able to get out of your house, you know, like yeah, we're, well. I I'm complaining because the last couple of days I had, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners have had to do, I've been driving around the state. And, you know, road conditions haven't been the best, but, you know, we didn't get two feet of snow dumped on us either, at least not down here. I was going to say, easy for you to say, I did get two feet of snow. (laughs) You did get the two feet of snow, right. (laughs) Yeah, I was, and we have, uh, so we're at our, uh, our cottage and that, for whatever reason, that driveway attracts snow. I don't understand what it is. It blow, it was blowing around, especially when there's a lot of wind. Our neighbor has no snow. 40, 50 feet away. Our other neighbor has no snow. They're 50 feet away. Our, it's, it's insane. The amount of snow that we get that piles up on our driveway. We're out there shoveling for hours. I mean, it was a good workout. I, I, I feel that way cruise. about leaves. <laughs> the the yes. magnet that's attracting leaves. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I well, at least got some cross country skiing in today. So it was really beautiful out there today. So, all right. So let's talk to the reserves at Buffalo. Zid Powell, six, four Juco transfer. Uh, it's been playing really well, uh, but has played missed the last game and didn't play much against West Virginia. And you know we're not Buffalo experts, so we don't know exactly what's going on. But he's averaging twelve point seven points a game on forty three, seventeen, and eighty three. Yeah, I looked and could not, for the life of me, find any information. The, the The only thing that made me wonder if it is an injury is that he didn't play a lot of minutes against West Virginia and then didn't play at all in their last game, which would kind of suggest. Something went on, but no information at all. The 17% from three tells you if he does play, probably not a guy you got to worry about with the jump shot. (laughs) What you do have to worry about, though, is he's been outstanding at getting to the line. And unlike some of their other guys, he converts it at a pretty good rate. He's averaging like almost five free throw attempts per game. And what'd you say? Shooting 80 some percent. 83%. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. I think you've got to worry about if he plays in, in your Michigan state is this is a guy who's going to look to get to the basket. He's going to attack, try and play downhill and you got to be able to avoid following him because that's where he gets a lot of work done. Right. So next would be Kulel Matting, six, nine sophomore, uh, just started playing again. Uh, he's averaging nine points a game and five rebounds a game, shooting 88, 50 and 100. Yeah. So he's been dialed in. As a shooter, that that's for sure. And unlike their big kid, he actually seems to have some range. They they're high on him, you know. Again, six nine sophomore, not a bruiser, but a guy who's skilled can do some different things in terms of um, maybe being a more of a three level scorer. So uh, they appear to be very excited about getting him back and playing him big minutes going forward. So I would expect to see a lot of minutes for him off the bench. 
Uh, so next would be Devin Caesar, a 6'1 freshman guard. Uh, he's played every game so far this season, and he's averaging 7.2 points a game on 51, 32, and 54 shooting. Yeah, a young guard, um, probably the closest thing they have down the road, at least, to being a true point guard, but obviously not not quite ready to take over the reins at that position. But he will see the floor, certainly. Right. Next is Genevia Smith, 6'9", 200-pound junior. Uh, was a starting five before he got uh, replaced by uh, Jack. And he's averaging uh, 4.6 points a game uh, and four rebounds a game in about 19 minutes. Yeah, and so still important because they're not going to play Jack 35 minutes. But again, right. this is more of their profile outside of Jack where you've got a guy with some length but not a lot of bulk or girth at only 200 pounds. So um, it might be tough for him, you know, physically competing against Amadi Sissoko, let's say. Right. Uh, so then be Kittrell Blocker. 6'5 sophomore, averaging 4.3 points a game and 17 minutes, shooting 42, 36, and 33. Yeah, uh, he'll he'll certainly see some minutes. Again, decent size on the wing at 6'5. Um, so they, they won't have an issue there matching up at least. And finally, Kanye Jones, 6'4 sophomore, averaging 3.4 points a game on 46, 29, and 75 shooting. Yeah, and again, young player. Um decent size on the perimeter but has had some trouble shooting you know I, I again i think the three-point shooting is a big problem for buffalo normally in this kind of game you know it's a cliche but it's a cliche because it's largely true um <laughs> the equation for an upset usually involves uh the smaller team the lesser team just going crazy from three and buffalo is just really really struggling to shoot the three well as a group it's interesting, you know, they're averaging 29% from the year, but almost every player shoots eh, 32 to 35%, except um, uh, Matting or Zid Powell, who shot 17%. So he must have a larger volume of threes that he, for the team. Yeah. And so that might mean that with, if he doesn't play, and again, I'm not sure whether he'll play or not, if he doesn't play, that might mean a little better performance. But, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is this is a team that, two of their wins came against non-division one opposition. So yeah. they're really a four and six team and the two high major opponents they've played, they didn't shoot the ball well against, and they weren't really competitive in those games. So, you know, MSU is a 15 point favorite in this one coming in. So that, that gives you a sense. You know, I think they were an 18 point favorite against Oakland. It puts it into perspective. This is, this is not a game that's expected to be particularly close. Right. But not as bad as Iowa. That was a 32 point favorite against Eastern Illinois, right? <laughs> that is Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear about the fan at Iowa who came down and started yelling at the team to start playing defense, which yeah. I until he got escorted where's he, out. Of the <laughs> where's he been for the last 12 years? Well, he must be a football fan because he's like, he probably didn't I, understand their, the offense, right? And he's like, we you really, I thought we're good at defense. And then he's looking for the puncher, yeah. maybe I'm not I sure. I mean, now, <laughs> Now you come down with that? Like time for that was eight years ago. <laughs> All right, we're going to pause for a second for to pay some. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Phyllis, we'll be right back. So looking at the five keys, uh, the number one key is the same as it was last game is health. You know, 
Malik Hall is going to coming back. Hopefully, can transition back into the to game shape over the next few games. You know, how can he play? And then obviously, no one else getting hurt because we got the Big Ten schedule starting in less than a week now. Yeah, I mean, it's as simple as that. You know, you've got two things you're wanting to accomplish here. One is you're trying to reacclimate a guy who's been hurt, and then the second thing is you just pray that nobody else ends up on the injured report. You know, you want to go into that Nebraska game feeling you're you're close to a hundred percent. You know, that's that's really the key. And and the good news is if there was one real bright spot coming out of that Oakland game, I think it was that Jaden Akins for the first time really looked like the guy that I think the Michigan state coaches expected him to be way back in September before he initially hurt his foot. Um, it was the first time you could see it. Okay. This is a guy who's gone up a level or two in terms of his offensive confidence, um, running the, running the floor on the wing in transition. He looked a little better defensively to me. Um, although I st- still think he's got another gear or two to perhaps show in that regard. Um, but so that's a good thing that he finally seems to be rounding back to the level they had hoped he would be at. So now you got another guy that you got to do that with, and it's probably not going to happen against Buffalo, but the process starts against Buffalo. Um, you just don't want to see any setbacks. Of course, we're saying this, assuming that he's playing because that's been what's been said and we haven't heard anything to the contrary. So I guess that's the first thing we should say is you want to see him actually out there. Right. Um, yeah, sure. But assuming that happens, then at least you can feel like, all right, the process starts with him. You just don't want to see any setbacks um, and, and that they move toward hopefully, you know, you would hope by mid January, Malik would be, you know, as long as there's no physical reason why he can't get there, you would hope by mid-January you got him back to being fully reacclimated and and playing at the level that he was earlier this season. Um, but yeah, it's the number it's the number one thing on the list for a game like this uh, to me. That'd be just in time for the Purdue game. Yeah. So uh, next key would be transition. So we already t- talked about how Buffalo is plays fast. They're number 12th in tempo. And, you know, I, I feel like the transition game sort of been going this season, but it's never consistent. It's sort of in little spurts and it's, it's, I don't know. It hasn't looked like what I thought it might this season, especially right. with as many guards as we've had on the floor at the same time. Yeah. Are they in fairness to them? They haven't had them fully they haven't had the whole group maybe until the Oakland game really ready to go um and maybe not by accident that was a game where even though it it, anecdotally it didn't seem that way to me watching it but you went back and you looked at the stats and then I think you made the point in the post game that it really was that that run coming out of the half uh, out of halftime where that MSU put on Oakland to just blow it out was really a lot of it was played in transition they were transition threes you know they were playing fast getting production so maybe not by accident that's the first time in a long time we've seen the msu break do some damage i I think in a game like this i would assume you know usually teams like buffalo come in and thankfully they don't try to be somebody they're not you know, if you were yeah. in the position Buffalo's in, you could look at this kind of game one of two ways. You could say, what's the best approach to give us a chance to win this game? Or you could say, what are we trying to accomplish with this game? What are we trying to get out of it? And most coaches, I think, rightly choose to emphasize the latter. So if that's the case, you look at what Buffalo has been to date and you say, well, that's what they're going to try to do. They are a team that wants to play fast. They've been doing it all year. And they're we presume they're going to look to do that in the back. So they should probably try to do that and play that way against Michigan State. And if they do, that should give Michigan State, in turn, a chance to play in transition itself which is what you want. You want, if you're MSU, you want the opportunity to play fast. You want the opportunity 
to have scoring chances, good scoring chances, good shot opportunities against a defense that isn't set. Um, you know, going at it the other way, yeah, it, it, generally speaking, a lesser talented team would have its best chance of beating a more talented opponent if they so-called shrink the game. If they bleed the possessions, you know, taking 29 seconds to shoot on every possession, playing defense well enough to force Michigan State, kind of what Oakland did with their junk defense, whatever that thing was, (laughs) forcing MSU to take a lot of time off the clock. Um, Shortening the game generally plays to the advantage of the lesser talented team. But I don't know if you're Buffalo if playing that way, one, if your team's going to be any good at it, and two, how is that going to help you down the line? You know, is your goal to beat Michigan State or is your goal to get better as a team thinking about right. the games you've got yet to play in your league? I think it's the latter. So I would expect this to be a fast-paced game and Michigan State to hopefully get a lot of chances to get on the break. Yeah, I think it, it, simple way of putting it is that you want to be a better you in the for this part of the season and then later right. in the year in a, in a one and done situation, then yeah, you just want to advance Absolutely. how it's done. Right. Yeah. If this is an NCAA tournament matchup, you look at it very differently, but sitting yeah. here in late December, if you're Buffalo, what matters to you? Well, the Mac matters and specifically being the best version of yourself that you could be by the time the Mac tournament rolls around, because that, that determines your whole future in terms of the postseason in a league like that. So, you don't gain a hell of a lot. You get a momentary boost for, oh, look at us. We beat a Big Ten team. But that doesn't mean very much no. in the greater scheme of things. No. I mean, because even if, I mean, best case scenario, you beat Michigan State. It's not like you're going to get that large bid, you know, if you don't, right. if you don't win your tournament. Right. So uh, going into the next key is paint offense. So getting Hall back will help, obviously. You know, what can you get done inside is, can you, um, you know, they've sort of forced Sissoko two games ago, I think a little bit to try and get stuff going. He would, had a lot of trouble, came a little more naturally last game against Oakland. Yeah. Can Hogard get some stuff going on inside too at the, at the whole, uh, either drawing fouls or not. Yeah. And that, you know, you mentioned that, uh, two games ago, um, who was at Brown, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, MSU does oftentimes look, and this isn't just this year. This is from time immemorial. (laughs) Yeah. They will come off the opening tap and early look to try and establish the low post game. They'll go the first couple of possessions sometimes, dump it inside, try to get something done there. That's not where Mahdi's at his best, obviously. Where where Mahdi tends to be productive is – when Michigan state can get their guards into the lane and create lob opportunities for him. Right. Um, maybe in transition, maybe off a put back here or there. It's he's, he's not a guy right now that you're going to just have him get on the block and you're going to dump the ball into him and run your offense through him and, and figure you're going to get a bunch of production on the blocks. Just not going to happen. So that's not really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about, point production in the paint because they don't really have that guy. Now I do think getting Malik call back helps because he actually is a guy that's capable of giving them some production down there. I've made this point before at times he reminds me a bit of the way Aaron Henry could produce in the paint kind of he's, he's not a blow by player in terms of getting to the rim He's much like Aaron Henry was. He's much more deliberate, but he can, he's got a good enough handle and enough patience that he can work himself in a possession into the spot he wants to be in on the floor, even facing somebody up. And so you're going to probably see a little more of that. You hope maybe you get a little bit from Joey on the blocks, but, but to me, the best option for, for uh, paint production is MSU's guard, specifically Hogard and Walker, getting themselves into the lane where they can finish or they can create for teammates. That's what you want to see. And and look, Michigan State's two-point shooting and two-point production has not been good. It's, it's something that we haven't really spent a ton of time droning on about, but you're probably going to hear us talk about it more because once you get into the big 10, 
I think it starts to matter a little more. And I do think Michigan State needs some some improvement in that area. Yeah, next is turnovers. The turnover monster reemerged last game against Oakland, where we I think it's 16 turnovers. Previously, I think, I don't know how many games in a row had been under 10. It was yeah. pretty impressive. They got all the way up to number 33 in uh, turnover percentage before the Oakland game, which would have been by far the best performance of the Tom Izzo era. I mean, not even close. It's right. still, even whether, what are they, like 50, 52 right now? That still would be the best ever, even after the Oakland game. <laughs> yeah, so they're playing a team that steal, gets a pretty decent amount of steals. So it's a big challenge and to hang on to the ball. And I, you know, I think a lot of the turnovers against Oakland, there were probably three or four of them were offensive fouls. Yep. Which is, you know, people plowing into people. And so I, I suspect that won't happen as much this game, but you know, you I would, you would hope not. You would hope yeah. not. Um, I just, I raise it because one MSU has been so good in that area, but really struggled in their last game. So that sort of sets a tone Two, Buffalo, unlike Oakland actually is a fairly aggressive team. They're a top 100 team in steel percentage. So that tells you something about the approach that they're taking. That means that if you're Michigan state, you need to be strong with the ball. You know, the guards have to be strong with the ball. You can't make lazy passes. Pass recipients have to meet the pass, you know, all these simple fundamental things that you need to do in order to hold the mistakes down. And finally, the fifth key to the game, offensive rebounding. Michigan state's been, yeah, less less than what you'd want, but maybe a little better than last year, I think. Uh, no, averaging... worse than last year. Worse than last They've, year? Okay. It's, it's, defensive it's one better, of the yeah. worst seasons in the Izzo era. I take right it all now, back Right now, to date. <laughs> and this is a team that struggles on the defensive board. So, again, opportunity to get good habits and to do well and to hopefully, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to get a game over 40% rebounding percentage right off misses. Yeah, that would be something. I'm I'm going to, I will take several games in a row in the mid thirties as a starting point, which they got <laughs> close to against Oakland. I think they were at 33%, something like that. Yeah. I so that was marginal that. improvement. Um, yeah, look, this is a game where at least judging by the numbers. And when you look at, at the physical traits of Buffalo players, there should be an opportunity here for Michigan state. You also have Malik call back which should help you some as well. You get another bigger body, a guy who's been through it at, the, at a high level, knows what's required, has the physical tools, the size and strength to be effective there. But it's, look, it's just, it's something we're going to talk about until it gets fixed. And I'm a little bit surprised, especially given what, Mike Garland told us a couple of weeks back that we haven't yet seen Izzo really go ballistic publicly about right. the offensive rebounding. Um, so we'll see if that starts to change if they're not producing. But look, you, you couldn't be presented with a better opportunity to build some confidence and try to get back on track than this game would give you. And you wonder too, at some point, if Izzo's like, well, I don't have my best offensive rebounders out there, you know, if it's Hall and Aikens. And maybe then if it's still not better, then we kind of go after that part of their uh, part of the game for the team. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's part of his thinking. Yeah, perhaps. And, you know, as, as I, I mentioned, when we were talking to coach Garland to me watching it at times this year, it's looked as if Michigan state wasn't even bothering trying. Right. And he assured us not the case, no strategic shift. This is that they want to rebound the ball. So, and, and coach Kelly kind of reiterated that when we spoke to him. So um, we'll assume they're shooting straight with us on that, uh, but it's, uh, it's got to change. Yeah. And, and you, again, look at this team, you see no reason why they couldn't be successful. I mean, maybe not an elite rebounding offensive rebounding team, but a team that's, you know, pretty good. Well, I, I agree because if you look at it, Monty Sissoko has clearly improved as a rebounder, you know, um, now I think perhaps why we haven't seen more of him as a presence on the offensive boards is they do need him 
to be careful. And you're always walking a fine line with a right. player like that who's trying to figure out what can they do and not get into foul trouble, you know? Um, Joey Hauser, Malik Hall, these guys are certainly big enough, been around enough, they know what's required. Then you look at some of the wings, you know, we've seen Pierre Brooks several times have like an offensive putback where you're like, wow, that stood out, you know, and he shows you that potential, but you don't see it consistently enough. Jaden Akins maybe just now is starting to get into a place psychologically where he's going to feel free to be more in an attack mode now. Uh, but they have some guys you would hope could bring a little more of that to the table than we've seen thus far, but that, that's what it's going to take. They certainly don't have any one guy that you look at and say, well, this guy can solve the problem. He can go out and get five on his own any given night. They, they don't have that. Yeah. No Shibway on our team. Right. Uh, but at least on the rebounding standpoint, defensively much better this season. And, yes, that um, is true. Which which is which has helped a lot, and especially now that you think you can call back. Hopefully, that will sort of solve a lot more of the problems defensively. I hate to say this, but you know, in a lot of ways, when you look at this, and nobody would probably ever come to this conclusion unless you thought about it and looked at the numbers deeply. When you look at the profile of this MSU team, at least to date, okay, very strong defensive rebounding team, or solid at least. Let's say solid. Um, not so effective on the offensive side, minimizing turnovers. They're shooting the three very well. They're not getting a lot done in transition. That sounds more like Wisconsin than it does Michigan <laughs> state. Do we have you a good know? free throw defense? Uh, yeah, I don't, I haven't looked at that number to see where they're at. Um, <laughs> and they do shoot free throws very well, despite the performance yeah. In their last game, they've also been a very good free throw shooting team. So their profile looks a lot more like a Wisconsin or dare I say it, um, mid period, John Beeline, Michigan, than it does Michigan state. Now I'm not saying that's what they're trying to do. And I'm not saying that's where it's going to end up where we're, we're looking back at this in March, but that is kind of the profile of this team and how they've been able to be successful to date. They have been better in the areas Michigan state teams normally struggle in. And in some areas that are usually strengths, they've been worse. So it's a funny game. <laughs> it's a funny game for sure. Well, I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and getting ready for have a happy new year. We'll pick it up after the Buffalo game. And again, if you want to support the show, we appreciate any support you give us. Uh, to our patrons who contribute monthly or those who want to give one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo. You can find all those opportunities at the final force on the schedule.com slash support or tffinots.com slash support until next time, the final force on the schedule go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.